I'm really sorry. It's Tuesday. I know we said Saturday, and it's Tuesday, but life, you know? Right? Yeah. Okay. Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And we have a really good show tonight. We do. Um, but on this Tuesday, I promise we're going to get our act together and we're going to start putting it on Saturdays again. Well, we may just say Eventually. sometime during the week. Y- yeah. But we're at least we're getting one show, one episode out we per week. We are getting an episode a week. Come on, guys. Give us some credit. Okay. So, <sighs> interesting week. With the show or just in general? In general. (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about, but we can't talk about that right now. No, and we shouldn't even tease it because it... I know. That's why I said we're not even going to talk about it right now. Um, But but we do... What I would like to talk about that was interesting this week uh, is the boys' personal trainer. Yes. I was not here for all of that. We're talking about Jack, the English setter, and Rupert, the golden retriever. Yeah. yeah, you you guys know about them. There, I've if you especially if you follow either of us on our personal pages on social media, you've seen lots of pictures. Especially on mine, you see lots of pictures of Rupert, especially. But um, I have well, you, been. You don't love Jack. I can't get Jack to hold still long enough to take a picture of him. I've been gone for most of their personal trainer sessions at work, um, so I'm going to defer to Steve on this one as far as like tell you know telling the story of what is happening. But it's I think it's pretty comical. So we decided to get an e fence because where we live, you can't put up chain link, and we really don't like chain link anyway. Mm-hmm. And we decided that if we ever got another puppy with the types of fences, a puppy could crawl out and really not be contained. And I'm not even sure the fences here would keep Jack in. Yeah, so we, we decided to get an e-fence. That and we back up to a farm, and so it's really kind of cool to pretend like that whole like, cornfield is, is, is ours. Yeah. <laughs> even though we know it's not. But So before they activate the fence fully, they come out and they do training sessions with the dogs. And they give you a little disc to... To teach the dog that basically yeah, it's like a little flag on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's a trainer. So you're you're supposed to work with the dog two three times a day to get them used to it. That when they feel the the stimulation, it's not enough to shock. We've touched it. it. it it's like it is a shock. It you okay. didn't do it, did you? Did you I, do it? I felt it. Yeah, I felt like it was a shock, but it was more. It was a shock of like if you've ever stuck a nine volt battery on your tongue, it's that kind of a shock. Like it's not electrocution but it's yeah it's a they call it stimulation okay so anyway jack rupert could care less at first it it beeps and it warns the dog yeah and then it will uh give this little bit of a stimulation now they can crank it up high that i imagine will knock the dog down but it Mm. it that's not going to happen right but uh put it by the door and jack went up and it, it it was set on one out of yeah, one out of thirty, so yeah, it, it it's not going to take a lot to train Jack with this. So he went up there, and uh, he heard the beep, and he got the stimulation, and the dog just started barking and growling at this thing. It's kind like, of the saddest thing for like five minutes. Then he went over, 
about four feet away and just laid down and stared at his <laughs> desk. It's the saddest thing. Like, he just, and occasionally he'll, like, grumble. Not quite a growl. He just, <laughs> yeah, he, but I, it's, we think it's humane because Jack likes to run. He darts out the door. Yeah. And so, want him to get hit by yeah, a car. so this will, or get lost or whatever. That's so we you. think this will keep him contained. And after they learn where their boundaries are, most dogs don't even go up to to test it. In fact, I've heard a lot of people say that after a while, they don't even. You can actually just turn the thing off with the batteries go down the collar. Yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't matter because the dog already knows. So next week they get one more lesson, and then the fence will be activated. Jack is at like a level four right now out of thirty, mm-hmm. and he is he has nothing to do. <laughs> he, he gets close to that thing. I don't know if Rupert even feels it. When when Rupert feels it, he just sits down and scratches. Mm. Yeah, because he, so, he's yeah. so fluffy that. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of feeling things, uh, we're going to talk about uh, feeling a lot of pain <laughs> in this episode. That was a really. I thought we were going to talk about wonky. Transition. I, th- I, th- I thought we were going to talk about the uh, Oregon district for a little bit. We can. Yeah. Uh, so as we are recording, um, it is the one-year anniversary of the shooting in the Oregon district here in Dayton, Ohio. Um, we did drive through. I know um, online there were quite a few um, different things going all the, on. All the tributes memorials, and, the tributes had to be virtual and online. Yeah, which is very sad. But um, but heavy heavy police presence downtown right yes, now. Yes, thank you um, as always to the Dayton Police Department. Um, it's 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 very. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of the shops closed up for the day, um, but there are a couple of places that are open. So it's a it's an interesting. Um, well, there are like, also a lot of businesses being affected right now because there was a water main yes. water line break. Yeah, and so that Which part of town is under a boil but, a boil advisory. But right it's now. interesting because the restaurants that are open, um, it's it's weird because it, there's definitely like a somberness over the whole area, but then there are um, kind of like sprinkles of laughter and, and music and merriment at like the few restaurants that are open, um, which is, I don't know, I, I guess that's kind of a metaphor for the whole the whole everything, it's, life. It is just a weird time right now. I still go it back is, to that, yeah. that quote from uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> this has absolutely been... The <laughs> weird, I won't say yeah. it exactly like that, yeah. but the, the weirdest, weirdest not yeah. the day, but the, year. the weirdest five months of my life well, I've ever even, experienced. I mean, the last year, if you look at, you know, all of the stuff that happened in Dayton last summer, and we thought, well, gosh, it can't possibly get more intense than what it is right now. And I wouldn't necessarily use the word intense to describe the COVID situation. Um, but weird, I think, is a very good word. So uh, so our thoughts and hearts are with those families that were affected. But you know what I'm seeing, though? By the Oregon District shooting. Absolutely. Let's take a moment. You want to do just, a moment yeah, of silence? Yeah, yeah, let's just do a moment of silence. Okay. Okay. So, so again, um, yeah. thinking and praying for all of you in the Oregon District that were affected. Yeah. So... Tonight's episode. Oh, there's a good transition. So we're moving from the police in the Oregon District, who did an amazing job, to one of the most legendary lawmen of all time. 
Would you agree? I Maybe not. <laughs> maybe. We're going to be talking tonight about Buford Pusser, legendary lawman from McNary County, Tennessee. So let me tell you a little bit about Buford before we get, if you don't know the Walking Tall movie fame, but if you don't know about Buford, he once wrestled a live grizzly bear. Now, he was a big man. He was about six foot six. And <laughs> Did he know your Pappy Spears? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Now, I know that to some of you that may sound odd, but back in small town America, especially back at like the county fairs and the things like that, people would bring, there, there was like a, not a troop, but a guy would bring a grizzly bear around and um, apparently there was more than one guy that would do this. It was probably popular. But he'd bring a grizzly bear around, and you could wrestle the grizzly bear. And if you won, you know, you might won, win money or... <laughs> like one of those uh, giant a stereo, stuffed animals. <laughs> a stereo or a giant stuffed animal. or <laughs> Maybe if the bear was big enough, you might win a Corvette or something like that. <laughs> but usually it was a cash prize, like $500, if you beat the bear. Beat the bear. Yeah. Um I don't know if Buford won, but um, I think... I, I, I'm sure he probably did. I, I think he actually did, but I, I don't quote me on that. No, he did. He once wrestled and beat a live grizzly bear. Now, if you think I'm lying about this, my cousin Keith, back in <laughs> Prestonsburg, Kentucky... Wait, you always have a cousin or a grandparent yeah, or something he, that, like... He, Keith wrestled a grizzly bear in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. Bill... Am I lying about this? Uh, yeah. Keith Keith did this. Did he but, win? No. Oh. <laughs> no, Ooh. Keith said the bear. Bear knocked him all about the ring, and Keith, Keith didn't beat the bear. But Buford did wrestle the live grizzly bear and beat the grizzly bear, so I hope he got at least a $500 cash prize for this. I hope so. Now, Buford... Um, Buford Pusser, he led a very violent but successful campaign against moonshiners, gamblers, prostitutes, and organized crime figures back in, Mc, down in, for us, down in McNary County, Tennessee. Uh, he had some pretty unusual methods of law enforcement that earned him a lot of uh, notoriety. Basically, he carried this huge stick. <laughs> Is that Teddy Roosevelt speak softly and carry a big yeah. stick? Um, what time period are we talking about here? 60s. Okay. Like, yep. okay. We'll, we'll get into that. Gotcha. So anyway, he became a legend for his heroics, and he did do a lot of heroic things at the time. This also gained him a lot of dangerous enemies about this. Now, yeah. Buford... Huh? I mean, especially, didn't you say he was going up against organized crime? Anytime you go up against organized crime, it's going to earn you some big enemies. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll cover that. So, um, Buford was uh, the target of many assassination attempts, like Kim said, with the organized crime. So, he, he was the target of a couple, couple assassination attempts, one of which took the life of his wife and left him emotionally and physically scarred for the rest of his life, which he didn't live a long life after this, but we'll, we'll get to that later on in the story. But when his wife was killed, it put him on a path of revenge. Now, Buford eventually became the subject of four walking, talking, the walking tall movies, major motion pictures here in the United States at the time. I don't know if they made it overseas. Maybe they did. I don't know. 
I don't know if it would lose a little bit in the translation. I would imagine probably the most recent one probably did. Yeah. Well, the latest one was with uh, The Rock, which... Big name now. He yeah. wasn't... I mean, he was a big name then, too, but not even not quite as even famous as he is now. Yeah. And the Walking Tall movies do depict him carrying the big stick, which became his trademark. Was it... Um, so, like, in the movies, it's a bat, right? Isn't it a bat? Yeah, was, it's a it's a like a big piece of Do you know what it actually was? Was it like an axe handle or something? Yeah, it was it was actually an axe handle, but in the oh, movies okay. movies they depicted as like a big like limb off a tree yeah. <laughs> that he carried around. Okay. So but most likely it was an axe handle that he would probably actually use to uh, break up stills and illegal gambling equipment is hmm. probably what it came from. Gotcha. Now they asked him he was he was asked how true Hollywood was to real life, and Buford said um, about eighty percent true and about twenty percent Hollywood. So we're going to go back a little bit um, and tell you a little bit about the background of Buford T. I think Pusser. H. H Buford H Pusser. Oh, Hayes. Hayes. Oh. Hey, Buford Hayes. Um, he was born in Finger, which was in McNary County, Tennessee. On December 12, 1937, he was the son of Helen and Carl Pusser. His father was the police chief of Adamsville, Tennessee. Um, and he was a high, Buford was a high school football and basketball player. He was six foot six. So big guy. That's even taller than you. Uh, it's pretty big. He joined the Marine Corps when he graduated from high school, and his service ended during his recruit training when he was given a medical discharge for asthma. I don't think it slowed him down swinging that big hunk right, of wood. Right, right. Uh, in 1957, Buford moved to Chicago where he was a local wrestler. Um, so that's interesting that he was played by The Rock, who obviously also was a, a wrestler. His size and his strength earned him the nickname Buford the Bull. <laughs> and by all accounts, he was a pretty good wrestler. I mean, he beat a bear. And that earned him local fame. The, the bear gave him, like, he's better than the bear. <laughs> Now, while he was in Chicago, Buford Pusser met his future wife, Pauline, and then in December of 1959, they got married and two years later moved back to his childhood home. And even though he was only 25 at the time, he was elected chief of police and constable of Adamsville, Tennessee, a position in which he served for two years. Now, remember, this was also where his dad had been the police chief. Now, after the incumbent McNary County Sheriff James Dickey was killed in a freak auto accident, which is oddly prescient, we'll get back to that, uh, Buford ran for sheriff of McNary County, and his only campaign pledge was that he would answer all calls. And apparently that had not been the normal practice, which I can't imagine. Like, you call the police and then they just don't come? Yeah, well... I, I think we're going to paint the picture that there was a lot of crime and a lot of corruption. A lot of money was exchanging hands to protect the the illegal gambling and the prostitution and all the different yeah. crimes of vice that were going on down there. Wow. So Pusser was elected uh, sheriff of McNary County, Tennessee, becoming the youngest sheriff in Tennessee history. He was only 27 years old, and he was what we would call the high sheriff of McNary County, Tennessee. Kind of like Andy Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but I don't know if he had any Barneys, but uh, <laughs> it, it was some pretty serious business going on. He then started on his mission of cleaning up the county, and he focused on the Dixie Mafia 
and what was called the state line mob. Now, these were the organized crime people that uh, were conducting all these vice crimes going on down there and everything that was going on. The state line area was run by a loose association of hoods and gangsters as an offshoot of the Dixie Mafia out of Biloxi, Mississippi. This reminds me of uh, that show that we watch. Which one? Ozark. Yeah, kind of. If you guys have ever watched Ozark, like it kind of reminds me of that situation, only like from the other side, because Ozark is kind of the, from the, I guess, theoretical bad guys. Well, the Dixie Mafia out of Biloxi, Mississippi, they were involved with gambling, extortion, theft, prostitution, moonshining, and drugs. The local law enforcement before Buford, Buford had either been intimidated or they'd been bought off or possibly both. It was just mm. a very corrupt place, part, yeah. place to be right then. And I mean, Buford felt that, um, that there were good law-abiding citizens in the area who were scared to death and felt completely vulnerable and unprotected. And so he went straight to work identifying who the ringleaders were or the criminal element and one at a time began to bust up their joints and crack down on their operations. He had a small force of deputies, and um, they would go out, they would smash stills, they would get reports of illegal moonshine stills operating. They would go out there, they would smash up the stills with that big stick that he would Mm -hmm. carry, uh, roulette and crap tables. Again, he would take that big stick and go in and just bust them up. Slot machines and what was described as an ocean of legal and illegal liquor. His small deputy force included, now this is interesting right here, included African-American deputy Dave Lipford. Lipford happened, he did uh, died of cancer in 1968. Buford hired Lipford as one of the first black deputies in Tennessee. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's important to note considering the time period and the racially charged South oh, yeah. that they were dealing with right then that Buford hired an African-American oh, absolutely. To, to be one of his deputies. So I don't know how popular that would have been with... Probably not very. With, I'll say with a lot of people yeah. in that part of the uh, country. Not that we want to stereotype, but... I mean, that's exactly what it is. uh, Yeah, you well, but you look at the time period and you look at the part of the country. I don't think that's stereotyping. I think that's historically accurate. Yeah. Um, Well, over the course of the next three years, Pusser survived several assassination attempts. Mob bosses from the entire tri-state area were set on taking him out because his efforts to rid the town of illegal activity were actually doing pretty good. Yeah, he's taking a lot of money out of their pockets. Yeah. Um, And also... Not only like money out of their pockets from gambling and stuff, but he's costing them money because he's breaking all of their equipment. So, yeah, I guess so. With that big stick, right? On February first, nineteen sixty-six, Louise Hathcock attempted to kill Pusser during an on-site investigation of a robbery complaint at the Shamrock, which I assume is a local bar. It was one of the clubs. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hathcock fired on Pusser with a concealed thirty-eight pistol. Pusser returned fired and killed Hathcock. And I think this is where Buford Pusser said like 20% Hollywood because if you watch the first Walking Tall movie, this scene is depicted and she actually, in the movie, she fired at him with a uh, with a shotgun. Which, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so... It's, it's much more dramatic. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's where he's saying... Uh, yeah, I could see that. 20%. 
Now, by 1967, Buford had been shot three times, Ow. killed several hitmen who tried to kill him, eh. and was considered a local hero. I imagine he was a local hero to the good people of to, McNary County. To who, some people, yeah. To the good people of McNary County, yes. not the uh, people who were of, of the state line crew. <laughs> Um, now, the, the war, his war on the state line mob was brought to national prominence when his wife Pauline was killed on August 12, 1967. According to Pusser, his phone rang before dawn on the morning of August 12th, informing him of a disturbance on New Hope Road in McNary County. Well, he responded, and Pauline rode along. So shortly after they passed the New Hope Methodist Church, a car came alongside theirs, and the occupant opened fire. A garbled call for help went out to the McNary County Sheriff's Office, and the voice on the other end was almost impossible to understand, but the chief deputy knew approximately where the sheriff had been going, and when the deputies arrived on the scene, it was extremely grisly. Ambulances wailed into the night, and Pauline was taken to the funeral home, not the hospital, because she was long dead before they found her. Buford went by stages until he ended up in a hospital in Nashville where the doctors went to work. Now, this is a little... Uh, the lower part of his face, especially on the left side, was shot to pieces. His jaw had detached from its socket, and the sheriff could only moan in agony. Doctors said he was struck on the left side of his jaw by at least two, possibly three rounds from a thirty caliber carbine, now, I don't speak guns, so can you please translate? That's a pretty powerful, good-sized weapon that hit him in the face okay. from a rifle. So there's a lot of so velocity. So it's a rifle. Yeah, it was a rifle, a carbine. So a lot, lot of velocity, a lot of damage. And that's like um, the shells, right? Not bullets? Yeah, it's it's the, the... So my understanding... So let's talk guns for a minute. My understanding is that um, rifle... Bulls slash shotguns fire shells that are filled with little pellets, right? No, a and, rifle fires a bullet. Oh, a rifle fires a, a bullet? And, and a, a shotgun, shotgun fires? will fires pellets, or it could fire a slug, or it could oh. fire rock salt. Okay. Because, you know, used to, farmers would, uh, if, if kids were out stealing out of their fields, stealing apples or whatever, farmers used to load up. Their shotguns, they dump out the the shot right. and load it up with buck salt, buck oh. shot or um, rock, rock salt. Yeah, oh. yeah. So this is a bullet. He was hit in the face by at least two giant bullets. Yeah, thirty caliber size. He spent eighteen days in the hospital before returning home, and he would need several more surgeries to restore his appearance. Yeah. Now, by all accounts, Pauline was not exactly thrilled with. Buford going back and being a sheriff. And so I guess it was kind of a big deal that she just she wanted to go along with him on this day to see what he did or mm. whatever. So she wasn't a fan of so his. So this was not typical that she would go along no, with, it, it with him No, it wasn't typical that she was going along. Gotcha. But not long after the shooting, Buford, uh, he, he had a good suspicion of four, who four of the assassins were, as well as a guy named Kirksey McCord Nix Jr. That's a mouthful. Who was a, yeah, who was a leader of the, but I said it, who was a leader <laughs> of the Dixie, Dixie Mafia, and uh, Buford kind of believed that he was the one that planned and orchestrated the ambush. Now, Nix was never brought to justice for the, assassin, for the assassination attempt, 
but uh, Buford ensured that others would be, and he cracked down harder than ever on all the illicit activity in in McNary County. This so this hardcore backfired on you know they were attempting to take his life and they failed and now he's mad oh he's like he's, kicking the hornet's nest yeah he's he's getting revenge right now um husser shot and killed one of the suspected assassins an intoxicated charles russell hamilton on december 25th 1968 which is also portrayed in the movie after responding to a complaint that hamilton had threatened his landlord with a gun now, you gotta watch out for those holidays. Yeah. So again, it's that is portrayed of a, a Christmas mm-hmm. shooting, but it wasn't exactly the way it actually happened. So okay. that's that twenty percent right there. Despite vowing to bring his wife's murderers to justice, Pusser was un- unable to bring Kirksey Nix or any of the accused um, to justice for his wife's murder. So I think he just thought, you know, it's what's what's that. Uh, the the um, I'm normally the, pretty the, good the, at reading your mind. The Q, the Q, the Q thing where one goes, we <laughs> where we where we go one, we go all. Or yeah, so like I that. think Buford's kind of thinking this with the uh, with the Dixie Mafia. So I don't know if it really mattered to him. I think he wanted to get the people, but as long as he was taking them out, I don't think he really cared. Mm. Now, however, Nix was sentenced to the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, and we've seen that on TV. Not a nice place to be. A lot, mean, lot of history in Angola. It's prison. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's not just any prison. But uh, Nix went to Angola for the Easter Sunday's Easter Saturday 1971 murder of New Orleans grocer Frank J. Corso. Man, this guy has an issue with Christian holidays. I guess so. He tries to shoot his landlord on Christmas. Murders a guy on New or on Easter. Yeah. Interesting. Nix was later involved in the 1987 murder for hire of Judge Vincent Sherry and his wife Margaret in Biloxi, Mississippi. His co-conspirator, Biloxi Mayor Pete Hallett, had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from Nix and blamed it on his law partner, Judge Sherry. We have Whoa. seen we we've seen a documentary on this one. We have. Yeah, we sh- we sure have. Oh, well, I, we'll I have don't to watch it I again. don't remember the name of it, but <laughs> well, but then we won't as, watch as it I'm again. I'm thinking of this. We, we've seen this one. It, so, no, it was on like, uh, no, what's the one where, and then there was murder. What was that TV show? City Confidential. This was on City Confidential. That's so, where this story so was. So the mayor was in bed with, not, I mean, not literally, but figuratively speaking, the mayor was in bed with the leader of the Dixie mob. Like I said, a lot of crime and con- uh, corruption. Owed him a bunch of money. Like he stole from the mob, which A, not a good idea. And then he blamed his law partner, yep. who was a judge. And then there was murder. And then there was murder. Yeah. Okay. City Confidential. Great show. We yeah, used to love to watch that It's one. on what, AM, A&E? I think so. Something like that? I yeah. don't know. Either A&E or AMC. One so of those two. Nix ordered a hit from prison, was later sentenced to isolation for the rest of his life. So the, wait, wait, wait. Ordered a, Hicks on, a hit on who? The judge or or the mayor? He ordered the hit on um, in 1987 of Judge Vincent Sherry and his oh, wife okay. Margaret. So, so it was it was the judge, not yeah, the mayor. Yeah, it was. I wonder it was if a he. Judge. I wonder if he ever found out that the mayor was the one that actually stole the money. I don't know. We have to go back and watch uh, City Confidential on that mm. one. Yeah. 
Uh, Nix had repeatedly, repeatedly refused to comment about Pusser's claims that he was one of Pauline Pusser's killers. Hmm. So he never, he never owned up to that one. One of the hitmen, Carl Toehead White, ended up being gunned down by hitman several years later. Many believe Pusser himself hired the assassin to kill him, though the rumors were never confirmed. By the way, if somebody ever murders me and you hire a hitman to kill them, I think that's really romantic. Okay, we're not going to go into that here. (laughs) Several years after that, Two of the other killers were found shot to death in Texas. Now, these are the people that Buford suspected of those mm. original four. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, again, they, they were found shot to death in Texas. Again, rumors swirled that Pusser killed both of them, though he was never convicted of this. Although, honestly, I don't know. Would they? Mm, extenuating yeah, I, circumstances. I, I think they would. You think so? I, I think they would. You just can't do that, but... Okay. He, he knew how to get, if he did it, he knew how to g- get away with it. Okay, OJ. Okay, yeah. If, <laughs> if the glove doesn't fit, you got if to If I acquit. did it. <laughs> if I did it. Uh, Pusser was in a, in a, ineligible for your elect, re-election in 1970. That was a tongue twister due to term limits that were in effect. He was defeated in, when he tried to run for sheriff again in 1972. Mm. Pusser blamed the loss uh, to incumbent Sheriff Clifford Coleman, in part on the controversy surrounding the making of his semi-biographical movie, Walking Tall. He was re-elected as constable of Adamsville by a majority of voters who wrote in his name on their ballots. Well, wow. He was a write-in and still won. That's amazing. Yeah, he served as constable for two more years from 1970 to 1972. So let that be a lesson to you. Uh, November is coming up. If you don't like any of the candidates, write in your own. You never know. They could win. Um, I mean, just make sure it's a good candidate and not like your dog or something. Uh, Even Buford Pusser's own death in 1974 is controversial. Remember the guy that he replaced initially as sheriff was killed in a car accident? Well, Buford Pusser's death resulted from the crash of his Corvette on Highway 64 near Adamsville. Odd coincidence? Probably, maybe, who knows? He died on August 21st, 1974 from injuries sustained in a one-car automobile accident. Oddly enough, earlier that day, he had contracted with Bing Crosby Productions in Memphis to portray himself in the sequel to Walking Tall. And once again, does this have anything to do with his car accident? Probably not, but I, it's I don't oddly... Think so. I don't, even, I don't even think that's oddly. I think that's just pure coincidence. Okay. I'm just saying. That evening, returning home alone from the McNary County Fair in his specially modified Corvette, Pusser struck an embankment at a high speed that ejected him from the vehicle. Then the car caught fire and burned. His daughter, his one and only child, his daughter, Dwana Pusser, who was only 13 at the time, had been was in a car behind him and arrived only minutes later. Dwana said, I got to him and I was screaming, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She turned oh. him over only to hear his last words. And he said to me, this is Dwana quoting right here. And he said to me, what I think is Dwana, Dwana. And then he was gone. Oh, so Lo- local speculation is the cause of, of the accident included rumors of sabotage of the steering mechanism and to the tie rods of his Corvette. The state trooper 
who worked the accident of a, a trooper called Paul Irvin, later became the McNary County Sheriff. Mm-hmm. Irvin claimed that Pussler's death was caused by drunk driving without a seatbelt. Officially, it was ruled a single car accident. No autopsy of Pussler's body was ever performed. So controversy still went on with Buford Pusser mm. even after his death. Um, so you've listened to all the crime and the corruption environment in McNary County that he was cleaning up and with just all these stories that we've related right here. So you have to decide, was it an accident or was it murder? Sheriff Pusser was credited with surviving seven stabbings. That's a lot of stabbings. Eight shootings. That's a lot of shootings. And Pusser's memorial service was held at the Adamsville Church of Christ. Now, after his death in pop culture, um, Buford Pusser became a legend. Singer Eddie Bond wrote and recorded several songs honoring him, beginning with Buford Pusser in 1968. Many of them were collected on a 1973 LP Adam, Eddie Bond Sings the Legend of Buford Pusser. Um, Buford himself was also a recording artist with It Happened in Tennessee, released in October 1973 on Stax Records subsidiary Respect. Uh, the Southern Rock by, or the Southern, Southern Rock by, Southern Rock Band Drive-By Truckers, uh, who we actually were just listening to not that long ago, told the story of Pusser's battle with organized crimes in the song The Boys from Alabama, Cottonseed, and the Buford Stick. There's that stick. From the 2004 album The Dirty South. Uh, Buford Pusser was the subject of three biographical books, all written by W.R. Morris, the 12th of August, The Story of Buford Pusser, written in 1971. Buford, The True Story of Walking Tall Sheriff Buford Pusser in 1984. And The State Line Mob, A True Story of Murder and Intrigue in 1990. In addition, Morris also created a pictorial history book of Buford called The Legacy of Buford Pusser, a pictorial history of the Walking Tall Sheriff that came out in 1997. Um, and I'm always interested in this, you know, side tangent, why people get so interested and fixated on like one, even like I would say somewhat minor character from history. I mean, he's not like super big time famous. Yeah, if you were from McNary County, Tennessee, he was. Right. So, but it's just interesting. I, it's always been interesting to me that people get fixated on like one larger than life character and write multiple books about them with no connection to the person whatsoever. Um, so, but I don't uh, know, maybe that's WR... the point with no connection. Yeah. Okay. But so maybe W.R. Morris did have a connection to him somehow, but I mean, you got to admit, it's a really interesting story. It is a really interesting story. So they made uh, movies about him. Yeah. And if you want to know any more, check out some of W.R. Morris's books. Um, now Buford's daughter, Dwana also released a book in 2009 entitled walking on, which is also an account of his life. The 1973 movie walking tall was based on Pusser's story. It was followed up by two sequels in 1975 and 1977, a TV movie in 1978, and a brief TV series in 1981. A remake of the same title, which we've already mentioned, was released in 2004, starring Dwayne Johnson as the main character, renamed Chris Vaughn. After the success of the 2004 film Walking Tall, the payback was released in 2007, direct to video. The name of the main character was portrayed, who was portrayed by Kevin Sorbo was changed to Nick Prescott 
and the movie was set in the Dallas area. So Why this guy it, inspired... It doesn't surprise me that Kevin Sorbo would be in a direct-to-video movie about Buford Pusser. Yeah, but look at all the spinoff from this yeah. from this one man. Yeah. Yeah. Later that year in September 25th, 2007, Sorbo returned in Walking Tall, Long mm. Justice. Yep. And the songs, The Buford Stick and The Boys from Alabama and their 2004 album, The Dirty South, the uh, drive-by truckers speculated on how criminals might have viewed Pusser. Hmm. So you you need to go listen to the drive-by truckers. They're really l- good. Listen to that. Listen to that and make up. Just listen to it. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett refers to an altercation. Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> Margaritaville guy here, uh, refer- refers to an altercation between himself and Buford in the songs "Presents to Send You" and "Semi-True Stories" from the albums A1A. And Beach House on the Moon, respectively. According to Buffett, he and Pusser were staying in the same Nashville motel when Buford, um, when Buffett decided to go out for some food and bring it back to the motel. Buffett, as one does, yeah, yeah. Especially right now with COVID, you just take it back because you can't really eat out a lot. I want some. I could kill for some Waffle House right now. Anyway, moving on. Buffett, who had been drinking, couldn't find his rental car and decided to climb up on a Cadillac for a better view. Again, as one does. That Cadillac turned out to be Buford Pusser's Cadillac. Whoops. And Buford wasn't exactly pleased or happy to find this stranger sitting on top of his car. Note that if Jimmy Buffett wants to climb up on my car, brother, you are always welcome. I will not kick you off my car. Pusser is mentioned in Season 3, Episode 8 of The Wire by Officer Jimmy McNulty in reference to a sheriff he plans to speak to, comedian Jeff Foxworthy in his 1993 studio album, You Might Be a Redneck If, refers to Buford Pusser in a joke in his wife's childbirth, Foxworthy's childbirth retellings, remarking, you didn't have, you didn't have more stitches than Buford Pusser. Yeah. yeah. Cringeworthy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the following is the New York Times obituary of Buford Pusser when he passed away. Uh, Buford, whose exploits as a crusading sheriff in McNary County, Tennessee, were related in the hit movie Walking Tall, was killed in a traffic accident early yesterday, only hours after he agreed to star in a sequel to the movie that made him famous. According to the Tennessee Highway Patrol, Mr. Pusser, who was 36 years old... That astounds me. He seems like he would be so much older. He's gone through so much, and he's only 36. Anyway, back to the obit. Uh, He died when his red sports car careened off Highway 64 near Selmer, Tennessee, crashed into an embankment and caught fire. Mr. Pusser was elected sheriff of McNary County in 1964, immediately started a crime-busting cleanup of gambling, prostitution, and moonshining in the county. Often, he personally smashed up gambling equipment using a pickaxe. There were at least seven attempts on Mr. Pusser's life, including one in 1967 when, his, when he and his wife Pauline were driving along a county road near the town of New Hope. Their car was sprayed with 30 caliber bullets, and Mrs. Pusser was killed. The movie version of Mr. Pusser's life ended with a shooting and his hospitalization with half his face shot away. However, 14 plastic surgery operations gave him a new appearance, and by wearing his hair longer, Mr. Pusser was able to cover up the scars from the ambush. In addition to being shot at, Mr. Pusser was knifed and beaten several times and once thrown from a window. He was six foot six. How many people did it take to throw him out a window? 
He often related in kind, and in some quarters he was criticized for being too tough a law enforcement officer, tending, as one Tennessee newspaper put it, to overkill in the pursuit of justice. By 1970, Mr. Pusser had become legendary in the South. The movie Walking Tall starred Joe Don Baker, but for the sequel, Buford, Bing Crosby Productions had tested Mr. Pusser and decided that he could play himself. He was on his way back to his home in Adamsville, Tennessee, when he was killed. Mr. Pusser is survived by a daughter. Now, that daughter, Duana, was found dead in her home on March 28, or in March 2018. She was 57, and no foul play was suspected in her death. Yeah. There is a museum to Buford Pusser in Adamsville. It's the house that they actually lived in. Mm. The museum has the car that he was driving when he crashed. There are bus tours and events throughout the year to mark, to celebrate uh, Buford Buford Pusser. There's a 5K run. It's located, if you want the address, the Buford Pusser Home and Museum is at 342 Pusser Street, Adamsville, Tennessee, 38310. All right, so now... Let's get into some mile 13 stuff. Right up my alley. Are you listening, Jackie? Uh, speaking of which, uh, we're going to be recording. A, I'm going to be back on mile 13 pretty soon in a couple of weeks um, for a couple of episodes. So be sure to listen. Um, now, Buford Pusser's house has been investigated to see if it's haunted. The Ohio, of all places, Spirit Searchers summary of investigation is as follows. On Friday, March 19th, 2010, an investigation was done at the home and museum of Buford Pusser, located at 342 Pusser Street, Adamsville, Tennessee. The findings were as follows. Infrared temperature gauge. The rooms downstairs had an average temperature of 61 degrees Fahrenheit, except the private bedroom of Buford Pusser. The temperature in that room fluctuated from 16 de- or 60 degrees to 16 degrees periodically. 16 degrees? That's a major drop. Uh, and of course, he if was you're, cold as steel. If, you, if you're a ghost person, you know that that's like a big deal. Um, the other rooms in the house stayed an average of 59 to 60 degrees. EMF meter. An EMF meter. This is a big one, right? The EMF meter. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good one. An EMF meter measures electromagnetic fields in an area. Um, EMF meters, I mean, it's kind of a big deal, but it's also highly sensitive. Like, so your cell phone can change it. On all those TV shows we watch, they're yeah, always carrying the EMF meter. I know, but um, a lot. the EMF meter can be affected by a lot of things, just wiring in the walls, your cell phone, whatever. Don't give away the secrets. But <laughs> it I, ruins it just, good TV. I mean, it just is, it is what it is. But anyway, when an energy passes by it, the meter reading goes up significantly. And Steve is a skeptic. Skeptic? Skeptic. Yeah, <laughs> How I'm much a skeptic. of that bourbon you even had to drink? Um, so, uh, well, an average reading was 0.4 in the hall leading to the front door. The EMF meter spiked to 2.8 as one of the investigators. Whoa. It's a, that's a, from 0.4 to 2.8. One of the investigators passed the hallway asking questions. And we're going to get to those questions in a second. A lot of orbs were seen on the surveillance monitor following the investigator as questions were being asked. Okay. Now, on our ring doorbell, I see a lot of orbs circling around out there. You know what they are? They're moths. They're bugs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, this happened, but we're inside now. Okay. Um, this happened every time an investigator would pass the same hall asking similar questions. So, same hallway, similar questions. Scientifically, like if we're going by the scientific method, they were able to reproduce their experiment. Uh, so, I mean, sounds pretty scientifically valid to me. Skeptic. Whatever. Orbs. In the world of the paranormal, and I mean, in the world of anybody, an orb is a circular-shaped ball, but in the world of a paranormal, it's a uh, ball of spirit energy believed to contain the soul, personality, and emotions of a dead person, but has not as yet manifested. So large... (laughs) What? Nothing. (laughs) Large orbs were found in some of the rooms of the house, mainly in the living room area upstairs... Buford Pusser's downstairs bedroom area and his mother's living room area. Now, to me, the EVP is the big daddy gun. Um, An EVP stands for an electric voice voice phenomenon or a sound recorder. It picks up... What? It picks up sounds and voices. Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this. Okay. EVPs pick up sounds and voices not heard by the human ear. Um, The museum has been given a DVD that recorded a sound that was not heard by the investigator. One of the investigators asked a spirit to communicate with her. She told the spirit to say anything it wanted to say. And you know what happened? No, that's not what happened. That's not at all what happened, actually. After analysis of the recording... It was determined that there is a sound, which is a voice saying the words, wish I knew how, in response to the investigator saying, you can communicate with us anything you want to say. And then a disembodied voice says, wish I knew how. So with the pictures of unusual happenings, the orbs, the temperature readings, the EMF readings, and the EVP analysis... TOSS has determined that there is paranormal and spirit activity in the home and museum of Buford Pusser, but there is no way to determine who or what is causing the activity. Um, That is from Linda S. Goodman, who is the founder and manager of the Ohio Spirit Searchers, or TOSS. So let me ask a question. Why would his house be haunted? No one died there. He died miles away in a car wreck. but... Um, here's the thing, a lot of times, so if you believe in ghosts, which I do, a lot of times you would say that, um, spirits are not necessarily attached to buildings necessarily. They can be attached to objects and his car where he died is on display in the museum. I knew you would have a logical explanation for that. (laughs) So it's a good chance that he is wherever his car goes. Maybe that's where his spirit is tied to his car. So wherever his car goes, that's where he's going to go. Well, he died in the car. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. Okay. It would be interesting to see if they moved his car, if the place where they moved it to started experiencing paranormal activity. I think you, well, I don't know, but you can um, Google up the website. Yeah, of the, of the museum, and you can see pictures there. It would be uh, you know, cool if they did like a you, live feed. You ought, you ought to go through. We can't post these pictures on on our website because they're copyrighted. But you ought to go through and Google up and take a look at uh, Buford. Not not exactly like the type of guy 
if you see who portrays him in the movies, mm-hmm. it's not what he looked like. Hmm. But it, it's it's worthwhile yeah. to go. You through. mean he's not Samoan? <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. It would be really cool if they had if the museum had like a live feed where you could just randomly check in if you are you know a ghost aficionado or whatever and see if you could capture some of this stuff like but as they're watching the live feed. As, as I was researching this, a lot of the, the museum, I, every place in the United States and probably the rest of the world is being affected by the, the COVID right mm. now. And so I don't even know if they're w- exactly what's going on in Tennessee at the museum, but sure. there, there's a lot of stuff that isn't happening right now. Right. Like a lot of the events and the things like yeah. that because of COVID that, and that's just what I picked up. It may be true, may not be true, but that was me just reading through the museum website and seeing sure. what was going on and doing stuff like that. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So there you have it, the story of legendary but controversial sheriff of McNary County, Tennessee, Buford Hayes Pusser. Now, I don't know if his policing and law enforcement would be acceptable today. Prob- probably not. Guessing with, no. You know, as people right now are talking about defund the police because of the people think that the police are too... But then again, I think it depends on the area. I don't know how big McNary County is, like how how rural this is, but it seems to me like you can get away with, and I say get away, like I don't have any better way to put it. Um, you can you can get away with more stuff in a rural area than you can in a big city, um, just because there are fewer people to get offended by your by your you technology or your techniques. You know, I, I'm I'm betting he felt he understood what he was going up against. He was basically. One man and a small force going up against organized crime, and I yeah, think he just intense. I think he just needed he thought he needed to grab the bull by the horns and go through and basically fight fire with fire mm. that this was the type of I don't think he could have gone in he doesn't think he probably didn't think he could go in and just Negotiate, re- re- reason, and negotiate with him. He we had don't to go negotiate through. with terrorists. Yeah, I mean or they, the mob. You know, Nix was ordering hits from prison. Yeah, so you don't go in. He didn't feel like he could go in and negotiate with this. He needed to go in and carry that big stick, swinging and 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 bust up. I so you say the you vice and the corruption. I, you know, he was fighting as much corruption in the county. As he was the vice, if you can understand the separation yeah. of those two things. You say that you don't know if he, you know, if his methods would be accepted today. Uh, uh, he seems not necessarily, I mean, there's there's quite a few differences. But Sheriff Joe Arpaio um, in New Mexico, you know, he, 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 he has some pretty unconventional but that methodology was, That was too. the way he ran the jail. But what I'm saying is it's that unconventional methodology and at first, Sheriff Joe was like, yeah, this is, everybody loved him. And then kind of as PC culture got a hold of him, then it was mm, maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of things we have to put in context with time. So yeah. in 1964, when I say the good people, because, you know, we have offended a lot of people tonight from <laughs> the South, basically. Yeah, we, I'm, yeah. I'm great at that. Yeah. Go back and listen to my Georgia episodes on my 13. No, no, yeah. So <laughs> no, no offense attended. We had to generalize and stereotype and, I don't want to say summarize, but try to paint the picture there of what it was of like. There are a lot of wonderful human beings in the southern states. Yes. Yeah, so if 
I don't know any of you, but I would love to make your acquaintance. So, and that's not that I don't know any wonderful human. I don't know anybody in the South. So, no, basically, he (laughs) reminds me a lot of Elliot Ness in Chicago. But I mean, with with the gangsters, you know, the the gangsters were a violent crowd, and there was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of shooting, and a lot of stuff going on. And so, Elliot Ness went in and basically did the same thing. Busting up the stills yeah. and, and doing the stuff like that. Buford did essentially the same thing. So, you know, he's from that part of the country. He grew up there. He understood oh, yeah. what had to be done. So there's a lot think, to be said for that. Yeah. Hometown I think, boy. I think that makes a big difference. That's something that you can't take out of the equation. This is where he was born and raised. He left for a couple of years and then came back. Left for a couple of years and beat a grizzly bear. <laughs> It's not like he was an outsider coming in doing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I could imagine him walking down the street and the little old lady, Hi, Buford. Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember you when you were five. I changed your diapers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so he's not like an outsider coming in. He no. was he was a homeboy, and he you know, fixed what he saw wrong in his city, which is to be commended. Yeah. Again, I don't think it would fly now in... Certain parts of the country, but you know what? It's a huge country, and it who may- knows that there's not stuff like this going, going on right yeah, now we, in some of the know. smaller, little but tucked away again, areas. You, you talked about like this one guy, this one sheriff. Look at all the industry that came out because of him. The oh, movies, right. the records. He's made somebody millions of dollars, multiple people millions of dollars. Made a lot of people millions of dollars yeah. over this. Yeah, poor Buford. All right, didn't get to have any of it. Now he has to haunt his house. didn't even get to go into the afterlife like heaven or whatever you believe in but he's just stuck in his house entertaining people as they come through every day okay if you can't tell i'm more of a skeptic on this stuff than kim on when it comes to the ghost and stuff like that yeah it's you've seen your fair share of things i have seen things i can't explain but i'm not willing to jump to conclusion that it's a ghost, mm. or I tonight we saw the um, ISS, the space station flyover. It was huge, which is kind of incredible because we've had such cloudy nights for the past couple of days. Yeah, and that thing was going over, and Kim couldn't see it because she was I mean, sitting I've in the jeep. S- yeah, yeah, but I've seen it before. It's just like a giant star that goes by really fast. Which I mean, me, not like really fast. Which but. made me wonder. We know what it is. Yeah. You can look up in the sky. Oh, that's the ISS. But could you imagine like um, some of the very remote tribes? Oh yeah. And and the peoples like in Africa or Australia that see that that don't have internet, that don't have the news and the right, resources yeah. we have, and they just see this thing going over and like, what is that? It's a. St- it looks like a star. It looks. It looks like a huge star. I wish I had my binoculars with it. I could have, like... Mm. Well, next time. Yeah, they're out there. So anyway, this wraps up the story of Buford Hayes Pusser, legendary lawman, sheriff, cleaned up the county. Uh, Go watch Walking Tall. Go watch all of the walking... Well, maybe not all of them. And listen to the songs. Yeah, listen to the songs. Um, Go watch the old Walking Tall and then the new Walking Tall and listen to the songs and tell us what you think. All right. So, Kim. Yeah. How do you get hold of us? Uh, the best way is... With good comments. <laughs> we'll take them all. Uh, the best way is a lost hour at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, 
and Instagram at an hour of your life. And you can find us on Twitter at a lost hour. Please follow us on Twitter. We have still like three followers and it makes me sad. So now we have plenty of followers on the regular website or on the, 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 the regular site. And I'm noticing as the nation, the state, the nation is getting back to work and more people are going back to work. Like I said, what's fun for me is to watch the metrics and our listening, our listens, our downloads are creeping back up to where they were to pre-COVID again. So yeah, y'all are people, driving again. So that's probably good for the economy. People are getting out, yeah, doing things, going to work. <laughs> listening to our show. Listening to our show. Hey, do us a favor. If you like it, tell somebody about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, leave a, you know, favorite us, drop us a line if you want. We always love to hear from If you've from got listeners. a topic that really interests you, drop us a line. Let us know what it is. We can research it. Or maybe we might... Uh, you want to come on the show? Let we, us know. Let, you want to come on the show? Let us know. And we can, we, we've got the technology to bring you on live. And we can do it. We can talk. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have an interview coming up later this week, actually, um, yep. for this week slash next week. I don't know, whatever week we're in. <laughs> for our next show, we have an interview. All uh, right, So Kim. it'll be fun. So we're rambling. So okay. from our studios in Sugar Creek Township, Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources this week include good old Wikipedia, BufordPusserMuseum.com, The New York Times, The Columbia Daily Herald, The Jackson Sun, and WCM Action News 5.